Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast series on contraceptives. The second of two podcasts will focus on how to effectively talk to your patients about contraceptive options. We welcome Dr. Pam Kushner, Director at the Kushner Wellness Center, and Dr. Kate White, Director of the Family Planning Fellowship at Boston Medical Center and an Associate Professor of OBGYN at Boston University School of Medicine. The learning objective of this podcast is to, one, summarize important clinical considerations in prescribing contraceptives, and two, identify strategies to communicate successfully with patients about their priorities and needs in contraceptive use. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Agile Pharmaceuticals. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Hello, this is Dr. Pam Kushner, and I'm joined today by board-certified gynecologist and family planning specialist, Dr. Kate White. Today, we're going to review contraceptive options and discuss strategies for counseling your patients. Our focus will be counseling on hormonal contraceptive options, with particular emphasis on options beyond the pill. Thank you. What are the most important clinical factors to consider when prescribing hormonal contraception? Just so we're all on the same page, when we're discussing hormonal options, we're referring to options that are either progestin-containing only or the combined hormonal options that have estrogen and progestin in them. So the progestin-only options are the progestin-only pills, intrauterine devices, also called IUDs, the contraceptive injection, and the contraceptive implant. Then the combined options are the multitude of combined oral contraceptive pills, the two vaginal rings, and the two contraceptive patches. While IUDs have gained popularity in the last 10 years in particular, other options like the ring, the injection, and the patch are recommended much less often by primary care physicians, and therefore many patients don't know about them. They also don't see ads in magazines. They cannot even know at all what their range of available options are. And as many patients prefer a method that doesn't stay inside their body, it's really important for clinicians to be comfortable talking about the full range of birth control choices. So there are multiple categories of clinical history that are really important to gather when doing contraceptive counseling. Medical history, surgical history, social history, and medications all have a role to play in what you're gonna feel safe recommending. When it comes to medical history, the first thing we think of when it comes to birth control is hypertension. We're looking to see if a patient has current hypertension. It's important to know that if they've had hypertension in the past, such as in pregnancy, that's okay, as long as the high blood pressure did not persist when the pregnancy was over. We're also looking for multiple risk factors for heart disease, such as older age, smoking, low HDL cholesterol, high LDL cholesterol, or high triglyceride levels. Any of these factors present by themselves is not an absolute contraindication to hormonal contraception. But when a patient starts to have multiple factors, which really put them at risk of a heart attack as they get older, especially, you may want to think about giving hormonal contraception or particularly a progestin-only method. Other things to look at are personal history of deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism. Family history of these things is okay as long as it's in the setting of a negative thrombophilia workup, but a personal history of a clot is an absolute contraindication for use of estrogen. 
We want to look at a patient's BMI. If it's over 30, that may be a contraindication for certain methods. Another common contraindication is migraine headache. What's important to ask about patients with migraine headaches is whether aura is present. Migraines without aura are totally fine, but it's migraines with aura that are a contraindication. Then some lesser common conditions, such as lupus with positive antibodies, a history of some kinds of cancer, diabetes for more than 20 years, or liver disease may in certain cases be contraindications as well. When looking at surgical history, which might not be something that comes to a PCP's mind, what you want to look at are patients who have had bariatric surgery procedures that lead to malabsorption, such as the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass or the gastric sleeve, because these procedures contraindicate use of oral contraception. Restrictive procedures like the lap band are totally fine. So it's not just that a patient had some kind of bariatric surgery, but it's important to know which procedure she had. Then when it comes to social history, smoking tobacco over the age of 35 is a contraindication to estrogen use, and that's any amount of cigarettes. Even if a patient says, I only smoke one once in a while, we know that patients tend to underestimate how much they smoke. And so the feeling is that any tobacco use at all over 35, contraindication to estrogen. And the last category has to do with medications. Estrogen-containing methods should be used with caution, or not at all, for patients who use anti-seizure medications or certain HIV medications. And these medications may be contraindications no matter what the indication really is. So for instance, certain anti-seizure medications are used as mood stabilizers. So even if the indication is bipolar disorder, and it's not seizure disorder, these medications may interact with oral contraception in particular, and therefore more, more consultation is required. Excellent. So how do you approach counseling your patients about the various hormonal contraceptive options? It can feel really hard to do really comprehensive counseling in the very limited time that we are given for patient yeah. encounters these days. Um, I myself live and die by checklists, by pre-completed notes, and by any mnemonics I can get my hands on to make sure that I don't forget anything and can provide comprehensive care. And so a grant program that I am currently running in Massachusetts has helped to create a mnemonic to remember all of the elements of contraceptive counseling. And it has the very handy name, pick one. So I'm gonna take you through all the letters one by one. So the P is past experiences with contraception. This is asking a patient, what have you used in the past? What's worked, what hasn't worked? What do you like, what don't you like? Because patients who have tried a method in the past and absolutely hate it, may not really wanna hear more about that method today, even if it's one of your favorites. I is probably the most important question, which is what's important to you about your birth control? For some patients, it may be effectiveness. For other patients, it could be one of a many, a lot wide range of values around changes in their periods or privacy, or can they stop and start it, or will it help with their acne? And so finding out what a patient really wants out of their birth control can really help guide the discussion. The C in pick one stands for contraindications. So as you've probably already taken a medical history from a patient or can get it from the chart, you'll know what methods they're actually medically eligible to use. The K stands for share knowledge. 
This is the time that as a clinician, you get to translate the patient's values into their choices. And it lets you sort of read back to them what you've heard. Things like, I hear you say, that having no periods would be really desirable for you, that you would love to lose your periods altogether. So let's talk about the methods that have really high rates of amenorrhea, because you might really specifically like these. Or I want to use, a patient says, I want to use a method that I can stop and start. So great, let's not talk about the device methods. Let's talk about the ones that I can give you prescriptions for that you can then control your use of them. Oh, is for identifying obstacles to use. Because this all sounds fine and dandy, patients give you information, you translate it into their values. But sometimes, because patients are humans, they have conflicting values, such as they really want an effective method, but they don't want something that stays inside their body. Now, a lot of gynecologists, their instinct is to say, oh, but devices are fine, they're totally safe, I'll tell you all the reasons why it's safe and how we'll monitor them but only a patient knows which of these two values is the most important. And so what we recommend is to present the conflict to the patient, such as, you tell me that you don't want a device that stays inside your body, but the most effective methods are the devices. What do you think about that? So now you're presenting the choice that has to be made. And then based on what the patient says, the counseling can continue. If they say, oh, I didn't know that, all right, maybe I'll get over my whole fear of the devices. Great, then talk about the IUDs and implants. But for a patient who says, I really don't want something that stays inside my body, then say, great, let's talk about how to make other methods more effective. Things like setting alarms on your calendar or your phone to change your method, or things like dual method use. By using two methods at once, you really can increase the efficacy of your choice. The N stands for now, because they may not be ready to make a choice today after you've given them all of this rich information. And so at this point, you want to check in with a patient and say, what would you like to do now? If they know what they want, fantastic. If they don't, you could offer them a prescription for emergency contraception. You could offer them a bridge method. And then you could offer them whatever kind of follow-up they would like. Maybe they would like a telemedicine visit in two weeks. Maybe they want another in-person visit in four weeks because they're maybe thinking about getting a device. Or maybe it's a don't call me, I'll call you situation, and they just want to follow up with you when they're ready. And the last is E, which refers to experience. You want to respect patients' experiences with their method. And if patients come back to you and say, I'm really struggling with this method, you want to meet them where they are and help them problem solve how to use it or side effects they're experiencing. And if they really hate the method and they want to change, we should respect that and help them get the method that they really want. Very good advice. So what strategies do you recommend using when you communicate with patients about contraception? There are three things that I think are the most important when you're talking to patients about contraception. The first is keeping the patient's values at the forefront of the conversation. And most patients have never even been asked what they care about. So very often when I pose that question, what's important to you about their birth control? Patients almost cock their head you know, like a, like almost like a puppy would, what? What do you mean, what's important? And then I sort of give them some choices about, oh, the effects on the bleeding, this or that. And then patients have a lot to say, not 10 minutes. They're not all of a sudden gonna fill the whole visit talking about this. But patients feel very passionate about certain things about their contraception. And when you elicit those things from the start, 
you're not playing catch up later after you've prescribed something and then a patient hates some very essential part of using that method that you could have figured out from the counseling. So keeping values right at the front. The second thing is trying to not have an agenda with patients. A lot of providers have favorite birth control methods. They're either the ones we've used ourselves or we've seen other patients use and love. And I will be honest, patients can tell when we really want them to use contraception or we really want them to use a particular method. And then they're in this weird dynamic with us where they don't want to disappoint the provider that they really like, but they feel like their own needs aren't really being considered either. And so as much as we may have patients' best interests in mind, going into these counseling sessions, facing what the patient wants and not what we want for them, I think is really vital. The last thing is to respect patients' decisions to use birth control or not use it and support their choices even if you don't agree with them which can be really hard for us if we have watched patients struggle with an unintended pregnancy um, that they then continue and it changes their life course. But we want to respect patients' ability to have autonomy over their bodies and over their lives. And sometimes not using birth control may be the right choice for someone. So even if every bit of you feels like a patient should make a better decision, we all want to have the ability to make decisions for ourselves, and we should extend that respect to our patients. I agree with you, and I, I think it's so difficult for clinicians not to have an agenda going into a room, particularly primary care, because we deal with the entire patient. So it's good. I don't think that this will take extra time because you'll have that extra adherence. Mm -hmm. But what factors most influences patients in, in choosing a contraceptive method? You've mentioned some of them. Yeah, there are so many things that go into this choice and every patient has their own list of the things that they value. So in no particular order, we know that past experiences are really important. If you tried something in the past and you've hated it, it can be really hard to get over that and to ever consider trying it again. Vicarious experiences or opinions of trusted people in your life. If your sister or a close friend used the implant and loved it, you may think, oh, well, maybe that would work for me too. Or if someone in your family tells you that the IUD is going to make you infertile, even when we know that that is not true, patients respect the opinions of their family and their close friends very strongly. And so the experiences and the opinions of their social circle is important. I could talk about side effects all day long, especially effects on bleeding. Birth control is one of those things that you use every day either taking it every day or you're experiencing it every day to try to prevent something in the future from happening that may or may not happen. It's really hard to use something all the time that you hate and that makes you feel badly when it's really preventing something that's almost a hypothetical. So side effects, I think, are really critical. There's a really pragmatic issues of things like cost. Is it covered by your insurance? What's the copay? And then access. How hard is it to get? When I was practicing in New York City, I wrote an article or was quoted in an article in a major magazine about IUDs and about how they were safe for people who hadn't had babies. And someone from New Jersey found my academic email and wrote to me and said, my doctors in New Jersey won't place the IUD because I'm young. And I said, come on into my office. And she crossed the Hudson to get an appointment with me because she couldn't find anyone local to her who would place it for her. So access continues to be a major issue. 
how much patients know about various methods is really important, right? We've said that most people think about birth control as the pill and nothing else. And patients may really not know the real wide array of options they have available to them. The strength of their motivation to avoid pregnancy is really critical, right? Because there are patients who say, well, I don't want to get pregnant right now, but if it happened, it would be okay. And then right. Right. And then there are patients who say, no, I cannot get pregnant right now. I need to, you know, finish the degree. My partner needs to come back from the traveling where he is. Are there are these really important reasons. And depending on how strongly you feel about pregnancy, that's going to influence your use of birth control. And finally, I would say patients' relationship with their clinician, whether they trust that the physician has or the clinician has their best interests at heart and how much they trust or have mistrust in the healthcare system. Because we know that in the past, there has been coercion around birth control use, particularly sterilization, but all methods for particular patients, particularly black and brown patients and people um, of low economic status. And that has engendered a lot of mistrust of the system when someone comes well-meaning saying, you might wanna use birth control, it can be really hard for some patients to get away from that history. Well, unfortunately, we need to wrap up, but could you please recommend some resources to aid clinicians in prescribing contraception and include good resources that we can recommend for patients to aid in their decision-making? Yeah. The best resources for clinicians come from the CDC. There are two publications called the Medical Eligibility Criteria and the Selected Practice Recommendations for Contraception Use. We nickname it the MEC and the SPR. Both are downloadable as free PDFs. The MEC is actually available as a two-page color chart, which is excellent to laminate and have in your consult room in your office. And the MEC is also available as a free smartphone app, which means you can have advice right at your fingertips whenever you're seeing patients. These two guides talk about what patients may be eligible for based on their medical history, can help problem solve side effects, or answer questions about when to start or stop a method. For patients, I recommend the site bedsider.org. It is a great overview of the available methods and even includes testimonials from patients who have used them. And in this era of reviews on sites like Amazon, everyone always wants to hear what everyone else's experiences are. And Bedsider, which is an independent organization, has a great amount of information like that. Well, I can't wait to recommend them. Anyway, this includes our podcast for today. If you enjoyed this episode, which I certainly did, check out our other podcast episodes in this two-part series where we discuss updates in hormonal contraception options. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Kate. Thank you. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.